prayer, even for some of the stoutest of Christians, it can be a challenge to maintain our prayer lives. Fortunately for us, there are some marvelous examples of prayer found in the Old Testament. And that's where we'll head today on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us for today's program. And again, greetings in Christ, and welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Our time together today will take us to the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, focusing on a marvelous example of prayer, a man who bargained with God, in Genesis chapter 18. So we'll take a look at three lessons on prayer. It's a look at the life of Abraham and his bargaining with God. Some amazing illustrations of prayer found here in this Old Testament passage. Join us for an encouraging look at prayer. With today's broadcast of Graceful Truth now, here's Pastor Steve Converse. Because the first instance of of intercessory prayer that's found in the Bible shows Abraham who's bargaining with God. It's back in Genesis 18. And at first you may think, when we read through this, that Abraham is a little bit uh, gutsy uh, to even suggest such a thing. I mean, who would would barter with the God of the, the universe, the creator of everything, the one who owns all that we see around us? But when you begin to examine this story with Abraham, you really discover that God was actually encouraging Abraham in this venture of prayer. God took the initiative by revealing his purpose to Abraham. And by the way, Abraham's called his friend, and he was moved to pray based on what he knew about God's character for a certain city that teetered on the brink of judgment. And so the lesson this morning is basically about a man and the knowledge of God's purpose and God's person and how that should move us to prayer for a world under judgment. So let's look at Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 down to 33. And I'm just going to read the text for us, and then we'll just make a couple brief points. But Genesis chapter 18, verse 16. Then the man set out, Abraham, uh, from there, and they looked down toward uh, Sodom, and Abraham went with them. These are the the two angels and uh, basically the Lord incarnate, Christophany, you might say, of, of Christ in the Old Testament. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Verse 20. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew Near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? He's concerned. He's concerned for this city. And in verse 24, he begins this process of bartering with God. 
Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? See, he knows the character of God. Verse 26, And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Notice it says the whole place. Verse 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Who am I but dust and ashes? Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he answers, he says, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. You see, Abraham is in this bartering thing with God. He's questioning what God is about to do. Verse 29, again he spoke to him and said, "Uh, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten, ten are found there. He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went on his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Very interesting scenario. I mean, as Abraham was walking with these guests here, all the way back in verse 17, he hears the angel of the Lord, the Lord say, shall I hide from Abraham? Now, if you're in a group of people, and two people are off to the side, and they start whispering, and they're kind of looking at you, like, and you hear your name, does that pique your attention? Definitely. You're like, are they talking about me? You might nudge over a little closer. Well, that's the scenario here. That's what Abraham is in the process here of hearing. He's he's hearing the Lord talk about him and hear his name come up. And it got his attention. And then he begins to really talk about the covenant promises that he had made with Abraham. He chose him. He may command his children, his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. All this stuff he lays out for him very clearly. And he's speaking directly to Abraham. And Abraham picked up on the the purpose of God's heart here. Based on his understanding of God's justice. Now who was in Sodom and Gomorrah that Abraham knew? Lot. So he had a vested interest in what was going to happen to this city. And so he begins to appeal to God to spare Sodom if there's 50 people there, righteous people there. 
And from there, Abraham bargained. He bartered God down, despairing Sodom, if there's ten righteous people there. I think this story reveals three lessons on prayer. Prayer is communicating with God. That's what Abraham was doing here. The first thing that I want you to see this morning is prayer must be based on the knowledge of God's purposes. Prayer has to be based on the knowledge of God's purposes. Prayer is not to get our will, as I said earlier, but prayer is to get God's will done. Right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To be effective, prayer must be in accordance with His will. If we want to be successful in prayer, we must grow in our knowledge of God's purpose. What's God's purpose? How do you do that? Well, the first thing is that we see in Scripture that God reveals His purposes to His friends. Abraham was known as a friend of God. Second Chronicles 27 tells us that. I think it's important that we understand that we, too, are known as a friend of God. Even in James 2.23, it says, The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a what? A friend of God. Verse 19 is where we get that. It says, For I have chosen him, or I have known him, is the idea. One commentator translates it this way. He says, For I acknowledge him to be my intimate friend, That's what God thought of Abraham. The Lord shares his secrets with his friends. Psalm 25, 14 says, The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. The Lord Jesus even told his own disciples in John 15, 15, No longer will you be called slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you what? Friends. For all things that I have heard from my father i have made known to you why because they were friends of christ and you know what you see that principle even in our everyday life i mean if you were just standing in a store line and somebody came up to you and started talking to you and you didn't know them from a hole in the ground and they started sharing very intimate things with you how would you feel you'd probably feel a little uncomfortable you'd probably say why is this person sharing this stuff with me i don't even know this person see we share the secret things in our lives with only our friends who've earned our trust. In the same way, God reveals His will to those who are trustworthy, to those who don't abuse that privilege. So if you want to know God's purpose so that you can pray accordingly, you've got to live obediently in the fear of God so that you're worthy of His trust. You have to have a relationship with Him. I mean, when you think about it, back then when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire, the pagans living in the surrounding area looked at it and thought, oh boy, what an unfortunate natural disaster that was. You know, if something like that happened today in our, de- in our time, there'd be footage on the news and you'd have geologists and, and scientists lined up on, on how this occurred. You wouldn't hear on the nightly news, this event happened because it was a judgment upon an unholy people by a holy God. The world can't appreciate God's purposes. But Abraham knew that Sodom's destruction was not a natural disaster. It was a direct judgment of a holy God on a people who really had spurned him time and time again. 
He knew that it was a, a warning for people of all time. While God is patient, and He is, He will certainly judge sin. You look at our nation, God's patience is running out, beloved. We're coming to the end of time here as we know it in the United States, this wonderful country. And when you look at all the political scenario and you think of the things that are unfolding, it's very unfortunate. But you know what? When I read Bible prophecy, I don't see the United States mentioned. Sad. So Abraham interpreted all these events because he was a friend of God and he knew the purpose of God. If you want to have that kind of insight, you have to to take time to grow in God's word. You have to take time to become his intimate friend. Don't just think, oh, I walked an aisle, raised a hand, I'm a Christian, so be it. No. You should be growing in your Christian life each and every day. Closer to Him. More like Him. He's conforming you into the image of His Son. I always like to ask people when they say, oh yeah, are you a Christian? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, when I was two, I raised my hand in a service and made a commitment. Well, that's fine, but what has God done for you recently? That's what I want to know. Because if He hasn't done anything for you from that time on, you may not be saved. You really want to Question that. The Bible calls us to question that. Be sure that you're in the faith. Secondly, God's purpose is to bless all nations through Abraham's seed. Okay? But not to save all from judgment. To bless all nations through Abraham's seed, but not to save all from judgment. God reveals his purposes to his friends, but God's purpose is to bless all nations through Abraham's seed, but not to save all from judgment. He rehearses his covenant with Abraham as a reason for sharing with him his purpose in judging Sodom. You stop and you say, well, if that's God's purpose, then why would he destroy the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? Why in Moses' day would he command the Israelites to destroy the Canaanites? How can his purpose of blessing be fulfilled if people are literally destroyed? See, God is showing Abraham and he's showing us too that though he will have Some from every tribe, every tongue, every nation bowing before his throne one day. It's not God's purpose to save every person from judgment. That would violate the holiness and justice of God if everyone one day was saved. In spite of and apart from the response to the Savior. That's why when you hear some Christian teachers, when asked very bluntly, well, do you think that A Muslim is going to heaven. And they vaguely answer the question, well, I don't know, you know, I mean, I'm sure their God, you know, can understand and and I'm sure God will will kind of work it all. They, They won't say no to that question. There's only one way, there's only one door, there's only one truth that leads to heaven and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Narrow way, yes, it is. But that's what God said, that's what Christ said. And it's hard to get through that narrow gate. It's not easy. It's a struggle. We need to be reminded of that. The subject of God's eternal judgment is not popular in our day. It's just not. Some even evangelical teachers are teaching that, well, when the sinner dies, they're just annihilated. There's no real hell. There's no real lake of fire that's for all eternity in addition to being grossly unbiblical, it just underestimates the infinite holiness of God and it grossly overestimates the goodness of man. 
See, the Bible says that, you know what our goodness amounts to? Filthy rags. Filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. In his sermon, The Justice of God and the Damnation of Sinner, Sinners, the works of Jonathan Edwards, he argues that since God is infinitely perfect and holy, being any sin against him is an infinitely horrible offense that justly deserves infinite punishment. He shows how all sinners tend to have too high a view of themselves and too low a view of the infinite perfection and holiness of God. And by the time you get to the end of the sermon, he has powerfully shown that none, none are deserving of heaven. And that God would be totally, perfectly just and damning us all to hell. We forget that. But in his mercy, in his grace, he has made a way through the Lord Jesus Christ to save all who put their faith, their trust in him. You have to understand that. And so Abraham began his encounter with the Lord with an overinflated view of the people of Sodom. Oh, there's got to be at least 50 there, Lord. No. 45, 40, 30, 35. Come on, there's got to be 10. No. As it was, there was only barely one righteous man in that, that whole city. And you know what? As you grow closer to God in prayer, you know what he does? He reveals to you not only his infinite holiness, but he really shows you the, the horribleness of your sin. He shows you what a gracious act it was that he would save somebody like you or me. And we begin to understand that there's none righteous, not even one. Sing a little chorus. The scripture says, if the Lord should count iniquities, none could stand before him. So when you begin to pray that God would mercifully call out from this sinful world, a people for his own glory, you begin to understand that it's God's work. It's not us going out with tracks trying to convert people. It's God doing that work through us. And we need to rely on his power and his word and his truth. But you know what? We still have to go. We're called to that. And as he saw the sin of Sodom, he cried out for his mercy on our land that he would not enter into judgment. We think of the United States of America. We need to pray for our country. We don't give up on it. We pray for it. Pray for our leaders. Pray that somehow the truth of the gospel would penetrate their hearts because the judge of all earth always deals justly. Thirdly, their God's purpose is handed down through the families of his elect. Verse 19 says, For I have chosen him in order that he may command, look at this, his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. See the interplay here between God's sovereign, gracious covenant with Abraham and the requirement of Abraham to do what God has called him to do so that his covenant promises would be fulfilled? He didn't say, Abraham, okay, I chose you. All you got to do is sit back in your arms of grace and don't worry about a thing. I got everything covered. No, he said, you know what? You have to be diligent to teach your children. There's always a tension between God's sovereign purposes and our responsibility to bring about those purposes. The point here is that the family is essential in God's purpose of blessing all nations through Christ, the seed of Abraham. Parents, those of you who are saved, those who 
God has chosen and called to salvation, you know what? You're responsible to teach your children to live in accord to God's ways. You're responsible to teach them the importance of prayer. Not just praying over a meal. Not just praying before they go to bed. But use that as a tool to pray with them throughout the day. Maybe they're struggling with their schoolwork and they can't get it. Stop and pray with them. See, if you believe that God will answer those prayers, you'll do it. And it's a good model for your own children. You need to pray for individuals, for nations. That God would withhold his judgment. And we can give that model to our children. Secondly, prayer must proceed according to the knowledge of God's person. Not only his purpose, but his person. Being a friend of God, Abraham knew, including his character and his attributes. He knew everything that there was to know about God at this point. And that knowledge drew him into prayer. I mean, to the point where he was bold enough to bargain with God. This wasn't a timid prayer. This wasn't a timid conversation between him and God. You can sense it in his words. Hey, Lord, don't get angry, but I'm coming back to you another time. Hey, Lord, you know, be patient with me here. First point there is God's grace encourages us to draw near in prayer. When you first look at this story, it almost looks like Abraham's taking the initiative with God. But the more carefully you look at it, it reveals that the Lord took the initiative with Abraham. Verse 17 to 21, he first broached the subject. In verse 22, he then waited for Abraham's appeal after the two angels left. In verse 24 to 32, he drew Abraham down from 50 all the way down to 10. And then ultimately, in verse 33, God basically closes up the conversation and said, okay, we're done now. And the picture here is that God was almost like a delighted parent holding up his infant and then letting him go and stepping back so that the child has to take a step forward toward the parent. I mean, when your child first takes that step, what do you do? Okay, great, stop, that's it. No, come on, let's do it again. You encourage it. God wants to encourage our hearts to prayer. Now, Abraham's prayer wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. He was concerned that if, if, if God struck down the righteous along with the wicked, he was concerned about that. He would look bad in the eyes of the world. See, Abraham erred there. In what God's temporal judgment sometimes falls on both the righteous and the wicked. Luke 13, 1 to 5. You can look at that. But the judge of all the earth always does right, no matter what it may seem to our sinful hearts. But even though his prayer wasn't perfect, God graciously kept nudging him along. In the same way, he wants to encourage us through his grace to come before his throne over and over again, knowing that he will receive us as a loving father receives his son. Even if our prayers aren't perfect, matter of the heart. Well, it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come out and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children through grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, give us a call at the Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, 650-366-9923, or visit our website, gracefultruth.org. And now, to close out our time together, once again, here's Pastor Steve Converse. Thanks, Andy. I'd just like to share a few brief thoughts with our listening audience concerning some upcoming events here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. 
Most people are familiar with American pastor Zaid Abedini, who is being held in an Iranian prison due to his faith in Christ. Well, across America on September 26th, which will mark one year of imprisonment for Pastor Zaid, there will be prayer vigils for Pastor Zaid and his family taking place in churches, county seats, and state capitals. We will be holding a prayer vigil on the peninsula featuring a special speaker from Voice of the Martyrs at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City on Thursday, September 26th from 6.30 to 7.45 p.m. We encourage you as a community of faith to come out in support of Pastor Zaid and his family and spend time in prayer for God to intercede on his behalf. That's Thursday, September 26th from 6.30 to 7.45 p.m. We will also be hosting Pastor Zaid's wife, Nagme, on Saturday, November 16th at 10 a.m., where she'll be sharing her testimony of how her and her children are getting through this tremendous ordeal and how God continues to work in spite of her husband's persecution and imprisonment. Coming to Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, on Saturday, November 16th at 10 a.m., that's Nagme Abedini, Pastor Zaid's wife, to share her testimony. Well, once again, we want to thank you for listening to Graceful Truth each weekend, and it would be a wonderful encouragement to us to hear from you about how this program has been a blessing to your hearts. Please contact us on the web at gracefultruth.org, that's gracefultruth.org, or simply call us at 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. Thank you, Steve. And again, friend, we'd love to hear from you. So call us today, 650-366-9923, or write to us, 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, 94061 is our zip code. Until next time, God bless. God bless.